This is Steve Downs, the voice of Master Chief Sierra 117, with a shout out to the Xbox Expansion Pass. Keep your heads up during this time of isolation. Stay positive. Play some games. Most importantly, finish the fight. Thanks for listening to XEP. Master Chief, out. Welcome one, welcome all to episode 143 of the Xbox Expansion Pass recorded on Friday, August 12th, 2022. I am your host, Luke Lore, the Insipid Ghost. In this episode, we'll be looking at the recent string of high-profile delays out of this fall and into 2023. Xbox has a promising presence at Gamescom, and Modern Warfare 2 is looking to make a big splash ahead of this October. In the back half of the episode, we're joined by Kevin Mann, a producer at Double Eleven Studios, to discuss the recent release of RimWorld Console Edition. Enjoy. Yet another week of gaming is upon us and behind us. Welcome to XEP, discussing all things in the Gamerverse as they pertain to the Xbox ecosystem. And as I want to do each and every week, I like to start the show by offering words of kindness to those who have made my gaming week better and this week, we send the words of kindness to two people, both in the Sea of Thieves community, for some impressive and appreciated help in connecting with others. Mr. Xbox Mike, Xbox Mick, perhaps. I'm not even sure which way he goes about it, but I always call him Mike. Xbox Mick and, of course, Captain Logan, both of whom have done a fantastic job recently in their own content creation, uh, live streaming for Xbox Mick over on Twitch. And of course, Captain Logan's doing an Xbox podcast, the Xbox wrap up and a podcast called Heel Hold podcast for the Sea of Thieves community. Both of them have been in my DMs of late, helping me con connect with different creators, discussing the recent season seven updates and in general, joining me for some different sailing. And I've had a lot of fun with that. And so I just wanted to say some kind words to them, let them both know how much I appreciate what it is they do do the shout outs that they've offered XEP and myself uh, and in general that they make my gaming week better so Mike Logan you guys are awesome I appreciate you uh, and I hope you all have a fantastic rest of your week as well as a shout out to everyone else that is listening I thank you all so much if you get a chance for some housekeeping this week please be kind enough to go and throw a review over on iTunes or Spotify it means the absolute world I've kind of been holding steady on the American iTunes iTunes review front we're at maybe like 81 which is really cool is it 81 I think it's 81 uh, which is amazing and I just really appreciate that I'd love to get that number up to 100 uh, over the course of the next few weeks canadian listeners european listeners i have to check a different portal for you guys but i'm so appreciative of you guys uh, as well and if you are listening over on youtube i am so thankful for you uh, i hope you guys are having an awesome week as well please click the like button and maybe subscribe to the show as well uh, i appreciate you guys as always well We've got plenty of news for this week, and I'm excited to be coming to you on a Friday. Uh, as it stands, my weekend ended up being very crowded with some upcoming interviews for you guys. Uh, of course, we're talking to Kevin Mann uh, discussing RimWorld Console Edition, which is a really neat console port of a pretty high-profile PC game. Uh, he's joining me in this episode, and I've got some dope stuff coming in the episodes to, to come in the next few weeks, which I'm really excited about. Uh, I know at one point I talked to you guys about having people from Turtle Beach and Steel Series on. Looks like the Turtle Beach people had some 
changeover in in personnel uh, for who was planning to come on the show. And I, I don't know the details on that. It sounded like it was uh, stuff that I wasn't meant to be privy to anyhow. But that's getting delayed, unfortunately. Steel Series also asked to wait until after Gamescom stuff calms down and they, they announce a few more things. Uh, but I'm still stoked to have the people that I'm having come on, but I don't want to jinx it just yet. So, so we'll cross our fingers for it. Uh, nonetheless, let's talk some news this week. Xbox is returning to Gamescom in Cologne, Germany this year. They talked about having uh, some pretty impressive plans, all things considered. They'll have virtual meet and greets. You, of course, can sign up through FanFest as well. But they're planning to have a six-hour live stream to coincide with their coverage, the games, the demos that they're going to be bringing to uh, Gamescom this year. Pretty exciting stuff, all things considered. This event's taking place on Thursday, August 25th. Uh, from 5 a.m. to 11 a.m. Pacific, and it's 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And, of course, you've got European Standard Times. You can do those translations. But for uh, North American audiences, the the time zones uh, may not match up for prime time, but it is really exciting to see that Microsoft is bold enough that they will be having a six-hour live stream. Of course, Xbox is going to be one of the most high-profile names there. PlayStation electing to skip this year, which is interesting as well. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to see just why they think they can justify a six hour live stream, who it is. It's going to be coming on to the show. They've talked about bringing uh, demos of games like a Plague Tale Requiem and the upcoming Pentiment, which a lot of people are very excited about. The booth in Cologne, Germany is also going to have Starfield's companion robot. Uh, they're going to have meet and greets for games like Sea of Thieves, uh, Park Beyond, I believe Grounded as well. And they're bringing a pretty impressive games lineup outside of just those titles. Also, if you look over on Xbox Wire, they'll be they, they kind of list them all. Out. You kind of got the mainstay first party stuff from Pentiment to Age of Empires, Sea of Thieves, Grounded, Flight Sim. Uh, but a lot of third-party games are going to be playable at Gamescom and spotlighted as well. And this is just what they are announcing. Plague Tale Requiem, Disney Dreamlight Valley, Gunfire Reborn. That game looks cool. Uh, Inclunati. You know, I tried to say that before we we had the uh, show. Before I, I practiced that word. I can't pronounce it. It's, it's, it's a struggle for me. Um, last case of Benedict Fox, which a lot of people have kind of changed my mind on when I first saw it. I believe it was at E3. I wasn't overly thrilled by it. A lot of people are really excited about it, and I'm starting to come around. Uh, shout out to Dr. Mo for, for always putting my eyes on that one. Lies of P, Lightyear Frontier, Planet of Lana, and You Suck at Parking will all be on display as well. Uh, I like seeing that the third-party games are getting a good spotlight. I think it's a very healthy thing for Microsoft to do at their booth uh, as much as possible particularly with all the discussions of late as to, you know, building third-party partners, blocking games from appearing on competitor services. PlayStation was reported to be blocking games from going on to uh, Game Pass, which, uh, as a quick note on that, I saw a lot of people really outraged on it, really angry about it, and I didn't take that tone of it. I felt like it was very much business as usual. If Microsoft is paying to complete a game or to do the public publishing rights for that game, they wouldn't want that to appear on a competitor service, be it uh, Epic Game Store or uh, PlayStation Plus or, or PlayStation Now or any of that. They wouldn't want it to appear onto those platforms for a good bit. So when I saw that Sony was doing that as that was revealed in, in different court documents. I wasn't terribly troubled by it. It makes sense to me. If company A is willing to pay for exclusivity rights, uh, the onus is on company B to either incentivize that client to say, hey, don't do that, come to us, 
or to pay for their own exclusivity rights and open their wallet for that. Um, it's all a matter of how the business wants to be done. And I saw a lot of people commenting that, well, if Microsoft's playing fair in that realm, uh, Sony should play fair. That's not how business works. That's just not how it goes. And it's up to Microsoft to do the best for its fans as it is for Sony to do the best for their fans. And we should be voting with our dollars and support as well. Uh, Take that for what you will. But I I round that back to saying I think Microsoft's doing a good job at building its own catalog and portfolio uh, to incentivize clients to come to them. And they're doing a good job in in bringing stuff for the future. And I like seeing them strengthen their own third-party relationships. Uh, I, I, there are times where I'm like, yeah, they should have opened their wallet to make sure this game doesn't go exclusive or does stay exclusive, etc. cetera. Uh, but at the end of the day, it is what it is. And I wasn't surprised in the slightest to see Sony doing that to their, their platforms. And I have to imagine when you look at games like Inside or Limbo uh, or so many other titles that have launched tunic being a recent example launched onto xbox exclusively and then later ended up on playstation to me it's it feels like that's going to happen microsoft probably paid to have a certain window of time keeping it from going on to playstation plus right uh, death store is another one where i think they've probably done that um i like seeing microsoft strengthen its third-party relationships and and to loop it back to the gamescom idea yeah i love seeing that they're they're spotlighting third-party partners as well uh, they're also going to be having different things go on during this this six-hour event, including demonstrations of the new Xbox app on Samsung smart TVs. That's cool. That's exciting to see as well. Uh, but I'm still curious how they're going to fill six hours worth of a live stream, if that's going to be interesting, if that's going to be worthwhile. I've seen Xbox showcases that have done a fantastic job spotlighting games in a really tight quarter. We've also seen the inside Xboxes where they had uneducated and uh, frankly lackluster interviewers on Twitch trying to ask developers questions that they had not been had a chance to prepare for. Or uh, clearly these interviewers hadn't really researched the game. And as someone who prides himself on doing just that. It really bummed me out to see that. So I'm curious to see what Microsoft delivers in this live stream. I need to be careful myself that I don't call it a showcase because they are not talking about that. And we often do a bad job at, at planting expectations on something that hasn't been set by a, by a creator. And we want to be careful not to do just that. They're not promising the world with this six hour live stream. I shouldn't expect the world. I'm trying to keep in line there, um, but I will give them a, a wonderful shout out. Something that Microsoft continues to do is, is t- uh, highlight accessibility via adaptive controllers, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, apparently in the, the Gamescom booth, adaptive controllers are available upon request, as is wheelchair accessibility. And there's going to be easily identifiable American Sign Language, British Sign Language, German Sign Language interpreters, as well as here to help staff available to help players with any and all disabilities um, that still allow them to be in the in in the premise or on the premises. So that's cool. I think that was kind of a neat thing to happen. They also had some PR speak about like being climate conscious, but I don't think that's overly relevant. Nonetheless, I'm stoked to see uh, how they're going to be managing this six hour event. That that really comes down to it for me. Uh, we've seen Jeff Keeley come out in, in a couple different social spaces discussing that there's a lot of surprises in queue for Gamescom that people. Uh, should get excited about and xbox has also said there's more to come but again i go back to my statement from two minutes ago manage expectations let's see what we're going to get i don't think you're going to see perfect dark on display or the initiative but it might be a cool time to see some fable footage or footage from some of the european xbox studios uh, or whatnot but but who knows i i'd be willing to bet you get some starfield content some redfall content that kind of stuff 
Um, and then I think if you see Game Awards stuff, that's probably going to be Hellblade 2. I think we hold on to that idea. I think I might have mentioned that in last week's episode with Mr. Boomstick XL. I'm not 100% sure there. Nonetheless, there's something to look forward to with Gamescom, and I hope you guys are looking forward to it as well. Um, if anything, it'll be nice to have talking points uh, from relevant actual happening news kind of stuff. Next up in the news, we've got several games that are hitting the delayed status moving out of this fall and into 2023. Uh, Among the most high profile are The Legacy of Hogwarts and Midnight Suns. And I want to talk first about Midnight Suns. This is a title that's been delayed for a second time. Uh, We do not have a clear release date from Fire Actis. Uh, from Fire Actis, Fire Axis about their tactical RPG. Um, this was something that kind of came to light in a Take Two earnings call, and they wanted to make sure that Fire Axis and Take and Two K deliver the best possible experience for fans. Uh, it's expected to arrive later in the fiscal year, which means before March of 2023. That's fine. That's fine. This game, I've always been a little bit timid on because you've got comic book games that are set to deliver some that bring question marks. You got the incredible Spider-Man PC port, which shout out to that game is apparently running extremely well on steam deck. Good shout out to court Lalonde uh, for his coverage of that game. Uh, he's over on a couple different podcasts now with carpool gaming. Nonetheless, uh, for midnight suns, this was not a game I was terribly excited about outside of the fact that it's a comic book game owing to its genre and the lack of true gameplay that we've seen. We haven't really seen any gameplay for this title. All of the pre-rendered stuff looks amazing, but what type of gameplay are we really getting? It didn't look like it was going to be something that was up to my genre. That said, it did look to be a high-profile comic book game, which meant I was going to be checking it out. This was launching onto every single platform, uh, PS4, PS5, Xbox One, Series S and X, etc., etc., it's it looks like though that PS4, Xbox One, and Switch are all going to be coming out later than the now current gen systems. This is something that's also happening to uh, Legacy of Hog- Hogwarts. I'm anxious for us to leave the Xbox One and PlayStation Four behind. I'm anxious very much to leave the Switch out of the out of the the talking points for a lot of these games as well because it just it feels kind of like the Wii version where things were just so underpowered. It it's time to move on. That said, I can understand any comfortable counter argument that says, hey, when it comes to availability, these things are not available readily uh, in most places. And because of inflation worldwide and the the economy slowdown, uh, particularly in North America, it's hard to find justification to spend four and five hundred dollars on some of these systems. I can understand and respect that discussion. I appreciate that argument and and I acknowledge it. However, these systems came out in 2020 and we're now in 2022 or almost to 2023, I think it's time to leave the PlayStation 4 and the Xbox One behind, especially in the Xbox community. But with Microsoft's contributions to legacy platforms and not wanting to leave anyone behind, making sure they've got backward compatibility, I don't see that happening anywhere soon. Uh, As far as Legacy of Hogwarts is concerned, this came out in a statement uh, today, uh, August, Friday, 12th, August? Friday, August the 12th. Goodness gracious, hard for me to talk today. Uh, They put out over on Twitter, along with a video from their community manager, saying that Hogwarts Legacy is being delayed to February 10th, 2023 for PlayStation, Xbox, and PC. 
the switch version of this game, which I didn't even realize this game could be on the switch uh, is delayed uh, indefinitely until a new release date is revealed soon. So I'm really curious to see what it is that port key games is putting together. I have to imagine that WB said, Hey, is this going to be Gotham Knights or Hogwarts? And they chose to delay Hogwarts. And I think that was the right choice. The Harry Potter franchise cannot afford to flounder right now. Whereas anything with Batman labeled to it, that's going to have interest no matter what, uh, regardless of what your thoughts are on Gotham Knights. You guys know that I'm uh, very much anticipating it. it the, the Batman genre title brand franchise, every single time you hear that, it's going to generate interest. Whereas I don't think Harry Potter quite has that same panache, that same universal acclaim, and they want to make sure they deliver on all fronts. And not for nothing, I think given the nature of the type of game that Legacy of Hogwarts is going to be, that's a fair thing to request and hope for from it. And I think that was probably the right decision to do. Legacy of Hogwarts has me as a non-Harry Potter fan, because I don't want a dumb one to be whatnot, whatnot. I'm actually really excited to play that game, you know, because I'm not, I'm not a dork. I'm not a nerd, right? Like I like superheroes and lightsabers, not wands and robes and stuff. Um, I'm, I'm jesting. It's not, it doesn't even sound funny when I'm trying to say it, but you get where I'm going with it. Like I'm, I'm excited for, for legacy of Hogwarts and I'm bummed for anybody that was stoked for it. That said, I think of the two WB games, that was probably the right one to delay. Uh, but, but it kind of hurts, right? Hogwarts and midnight suns, both leaving fall. Um, you can think about all the other high profile things that have gotten out of the way, uh, for what was otherwise going to be a now crowded fall, uh, avatar, uh, Mists of Pandora, I think it was. I, I was so excited for that game. That that is that was one of my top three most anticipated. That has vacated the fall. Uh, of course, Redfall and Starfield got moved, and then recently Gollum uh, got moved as well. And that was the right call. Gollum looked pretty rough, pretty rough. Um, so it's just kind of a bummer for people that were looking forward to it. But as always, I mean, we remind ourselves we can't complain about things being delayed when we're also saying, hey, please don't crunch. We can't complain when, when developers take time off or, or take time to recoup themselves to make sure they don't burn out and then complain that we don't have content. There are plenty of games out there. Most of you that are listening to this show are likely Game Pass subscribers. Uh, there are consistently new games, big and small, showing up in Game Pass. Give those a chance. Uh, and if your game got got delay that you were really looking forward to tweet some words of encouragement to that dev. Let them know you're still there supporting. I think that's an important thing that we often forget to do. Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 is coming out in fall of 2022, set to release on October 28th. This is one that uh, I don't anticipate getting any type of movement as they just announced several early access and open beta dates. The, PS the PlayStation community is going to get a chance to jump into the Modern Warfare 2 beta on September 16th through the 20th. Uh, and then the open beta for PlayStation fans, because it was early access for that one, open beta goes on the September 18th. PC and Xbox users get to do the same thing, jumping in on uh, as early as September 22nd and an open beta on September 24th. Uh, this, of course, you know, owing to the fact that PlayStation and Call of Duty have a pretty good marketing rights deal uh, go that they've had for several years. You expect that to change uh, as Xbox ends up acquiring Activision when that deal is finalized in what is expected to be June of 2023. That said, you can get your hands on the open beta uh, for this game and really find out if it's for you, if the game has uh, evolved in any way, shape, or form. I'm actually very excited about it. I love the the first Modern Warfare. 
uh, remake, reboot, what what have you, not necessarily the remaster. I liked it a lot. I thought it was a great campaign and the, the multiplayer was quite good. I'm anxious to jump into this multiplayer on account of the fact that I skipped Call of Duty last year on principle. And I like a lot of the changes I'm seeing and hearing about from the kind of the internal treatment of their uh, community and their developers. So I'm going to try this one out. Uh, I'm not really one for betas. I'm not really one for early access, but I can I, I can see myself jumping in to to this one on September 24th for that open beta. And if we get press access for early access, great. Um, I think it's kind of cool, right? They're doing more Intel drops and they're working really hard to uh, deliver on this Call of Duty after the disappointment that was Vanguard. Interestingly, every Activision studio under that banner is working on Modern Warfare 2. Every single one, Toys for Bob and any all the others, they are working to deliver on Modern Warfare 2. So it's, it'll be interesting to watch this one come out. Meanwhile, you've got the delays for other high-profile games next to it. But nope, they're, they're plowing forward uh, on this one. And while it's not a one-to-one connection, uh, there was something that, that came in in the listener topics from Hafrican, from Charles Jones, one of my Sea of Thieves crewmates and gaming buddies. Uh, he said, what do you think is needed for Halo Infinite to survive in advance this year? And I bring this up next to Call of Duty because Call of Duty is going to be Halo Infinite's primary competition in the first-person shooter space. I think Destiny kind of exists on its own in its own realm because uh, it's a different type of game, whereas Halo and Call of Duty are consistently pit against one another, particularly modern warfare as the genre. Um, to answer Charles's question, I think Forge Mode is looking incredible, Charles. Everything we're seeing about Forge Mode looks fantastic, so much so that even you know studio head Joseph Staten is saying that it's a game changer, and he doesn't use those words lightly. He's continuously acknowledged where Halo Infinite has fallen short. Uh, and talked about you know the health of the team. But even he is saying that Forge is looking good. If they can get Forge to launch well alongside Season 3 uh, of Halo Infinite, alongside the campaign co-op of Halo Infinite, alongside Project Tatanka, which is the Battle Royale version of Halo Infinite, then I think you see a very healthy return for Halo uh, come fall. I, my hope is that they launch it in November, give time for Call of Duty to hit, have its moment two, three, four weeks in the spotlight, and then give the late November window to Halo Infinite. Uh, couple that and time that with a bunch of Twitch drops every weekend uh, through the course of the rest of the year, and Halo Infinite's back on top doing well. Um, but it's a, it's a tall order, right? Halo Infinite has delivered and delivered well and fallen off pretty steadily since in a lack of content. Uh, so I, I think if you can time that campaign, that season three, that, that co-op, and forge kind of all into that late november window mix it with some twitch drops get a lot of eyes on it then you've got a good recipe for uh combating that excitement that surrounds call of duty because even i'm stoked for call of duty as much as i love the halo infinite gameplay i'm excited for call of duty and so uh, something to be said for that a good question from charles and i hope it couples well with the uh, modern warfare 2 news the last bit of news that i want to get to this week comes from uh, Windows Central, and it discusses some interesting things that popped up on, on a couple different social spaces about Elden Ring possibly coming to Xbox Game Pass. Uh, there was a listing on the Xbox website for that, that is no longer functioning now that, X, that Elden Ring would be coming to cloud gaming via xCloud, but wouldn't be in Game Pass, and then it would be in Game Pass, 
and that there's a possibility that the xCloud library might include several titles that don't exist as part of the Game Pass subscription. Uh, it was interesting to see that happening because we know that is a future that Microsoft is working towards. However, on August 10th, uh, a, Microsoft, a Microsoft spokesperson came out and said that that was due to a bug and that was not going to be the case. You wouldn't see Eldering on Xbox Cloud Gaming. Um, I raise eyebrows to that. I find that kind of kind of doubtful. Like I appreciate their statement and saying, hey, this isn't happening right now. But I do think it happens in the future. There's a world where Microsoft wants all of the games to be accessible through their services, some of them being through Game Pass, others through simple, you know, you have an account and you're good to go. Uh, I wouldn't, would not be surprised to see this happen sooner rather than later, sooner being in the next year uh, as Microsoft continues to work on Game Pass subscriptions. Uh, I think if you can get the Elden Ring inclusion into xCloud, maybe not Game Pass, but into xCloud and time that near Game Pass subscriptions that are going to likely uh, go up when Starfield arrives, I think you've got a good recipe to keeping people into the Xbox ecosystem and making your third-party developers very happy to be on your xCloud service. Uh, you make sure that goes out well next to the, the Samsung you know, smart TV app uh, into making you know the backbone and a lot of the, the mobile controllers that pair with your phone really well. If you can get all that timed properly, I think you got a good recipe for a good future that's not hardware-dependent. Um, but nonetheless, that rumor, that excitement was dashed by that Microsoft spokesperson. But I feel that future is an inevitability. And respectfully, I say uh, that's going to happen at some point. I mean, it's just no two ways about it. No two ways about it. Indeed. Let's see. Let's get to another question while we're rocking with uh, listener mail here. This one comes from Elu over at Season Gaming. He says, how excited are you for the Kawabunga Collection? Elu, I'm so stoked for that game. I've really developed a lot of love for the Ninja Turtles uh, since since kind of we knew this game set, this game collection was coming. I love Shredder's Revenge. Of course, I got to interview the devs there. And if you notice, way back in March, for any long-term XCP listeners, I interviewed the executive producer, Stephen Frost, on Cowabunga Collection. This is a game I'm super stoked for. I encourage you guys to go back and check out that episode. It's really good. Uh, I, I had a good old time with it. This is one that I'm super excited to just play. I really want to play through the uh, TMNT 3 Radical Rescue on Game Boy. Uh, I really loved that game back in the day, and I, and I have a lot of fun with those brawlers. Um, I wish my gaming crew, crew played more Shredder's Revenge because it's just fun, and the Ninja Turtles are really cool uh, in a fun way. A lot of good comic books. I've had a blast with them, and so I encourage uh, anybody to check out this collection um, I've struggled actually to get up with PR for Konami. That website is eternally down and difficult to use. Uh, so I don't think I'm going to have early access to that one. And and, and that's fine. Um, I'm, I'm going to be swamped then anyway with coaching soccer again. So uh, we'll see how that goes. But yeah, man, I'm, I'm stoked for it. The next question comes from Mr. Kyle Stevenson, co-host over on the Trophy Room, a PlayStation podcast. He wants to first apologize for Mr. Bad Bit's behavior towards me. Thank you, Kyle. I appreciate it. It's nice to see someone professional from the Trophy Room, from such a, a, a wonderful podcast, uh, do so well, despite Mr. Bad Bit, you know. Uh, your question who for me was... Who is your dream guest for the show out of the entire gaming industry? Who is that one person that you're dying to chat with about their games or history with games? Man, that's a great question. I often go back to this one because as an Xbox content creator, you want to get the eyes and attention of Phil Spencer, right? You want Jason Ronald and Phil Spencer or Aaron Greenberg 
to check out the show. Um, it's funny because Aaron Greenberg doesn't follow me on Twitter, but he follows Joe on Twitter, right? Like, so you, as a content creator, I want XCP to at least be something they're aware of and respect and appreciate. I think my show is unique in, in the way that it does interview formats and that way that I make a conscious effort to not bash or overly celebrate any one brand. Uh, and as a result, that also kind of hurts my audience, right? Like we know that kind of, that stuff kind of charts and sells. If I'm always like PlayStation sucks, Xbox is the best or vice versa or anything else. I, I think I'm different in that. And as a result, my, my listenership isn't quite the same. I also specialize in interviews. So if you're not interested in the interview, are you really listening to the show? But it would be cool to know that they check out the show, that they are aware or, or whatnot, just because I have so much respect for the brand and I want them to have respect for what I do in, in honor of that brand. That said, as far as a dream guest, uh, I consistently go back to the name Sarah Bond. I, I want Sarah Bond to be somebody that I can add to the list of people I've interviewed uh, for a pretty unique reason. As you guys know, I'm, I'm an educator. I teach as my, my day job, right? Um, and I I look at what Sarah Bond has done in, in breaking boundaries and helping to make Xbox more inclusive and also being a figurehead as a woman of color on a stage presenting in a way that certainly is not only eloquent, but professional and exciting and celebrates uh, so many aspects of, of gaming that defy the traditional stereotype uh, elements. And then she's been doing it in a time where we've been seeing a lot of people come out and say, hey, there's a lot of toxic masculinity at a lot of these major companies. She has helped been one of the many faces at Xbox that allowed it to be more inclusive. And the reason I'd like to sit down with her is I'd like to talk to her about the pressures that come with that. And then... I can take those words and, and those wisdoms and those experiences that she shares with me to my classroom. And I can tell my, my, my students of color, my young ladies that are interested in uh, game development. Cause I have a, a couple books in my classroom about it. Um, and I can say like, Hey, here's somebody who's on the stage for Xbox, helping to bring games to people. You can do this too. Here are her sage words of wisdom. And I, as your teacher have talked to her about it. So, selfishly uh that's what that's who i want is sarah bond i'd love to to really sit down and interview her and allow allow the chance to have a recording where i can play it for my students and talk to them about that um and and of course i acknowledge that it would also be a profile booster for my show i don't want to pretend like that wouldn't happen but that's who i want to talk to kyle that's who i was so 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 humbly hope to one day get a chance to to chat with and then Beyond that, it's 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 all your standards. Like it'd be great to talk to Phil. It'd be great to talk to Jason Ronald. It'd be great to talk to uh, Larry Herb and what he believes his role is with Xbox now versus during the Xbox One and 360 eras. Right? Um, it'd be neat to find out what Jeff Rubenstein done does in his role at like connecting with creators, and and that's that'd be fun to do. But there's so much more to it. Um, and in general, I just want to bring on guests that that the Xbox audience is, is, is interested in. So there you go. I hope I didn't stutter my way through too, through that one too much. Um, but I do, I do pr feel pretty strongly about it. And, and I tend to get a little choked up when talking about my students. So pardon me for that. Uh, let's go with this next question from Mr. Blaze Knight. He says, Xbox has some great features like quick resume and smart delivery. What are some features from uh, features that other consoles from any generation have that would make Xbox just a touch nicer for you? Uh, that's a great question. I would love for the Xbox Series X with its, with its disk drive to just be able to play any disk from the Xbox Pantheon, regardless of uh, of licensing or whatnot. 
Currently, the backward compat program doesn't work that way, but it'd be really neat if they were able to get an emulator running on on Series X to allow it to just play a disc from any Xbox uh, generation. I would love that because there are a lot of games that are not backward compatible that I have to play on my 360 that I would love to just be able to put into my Series X and go. Uh, I don't think they would invest in that kind of emulation, given that the Series S doesn't even have a disk drive, but that's one of them. Uh, I, I thought about the DualSense uh, capabilities, being that controller element being in the Xbox kind of area, uh, and, and you can mimic that with whatever it is that the the Switch controller has. You remember you shake the ice when you play uh, one two Switch, that kind of thing. But Xbox has had that, and I think a lot of the controller gimmicks don't really play out. I'm not really terribly impressed with the DualSense. I don't think it's that greater revolutionary which i hate saying because it sounds like i'm lambasting it i'm not it's a cool feature um but to me the greatest advancement in controllers has been back paddles like to me that's what i want i would really just like back paddles to become standard uh standard non-assigned buttons for for every major platform and then from there you can assign them because it has made a world of difference using an elite controller in any number of games because i'm not wearing my thumbs out i'm just kind of pulling uh, on the controller with my my back fingers. That said, uh, I shouldn't have to pay two hundred plus dollars to get an elite controller to do that. So uh, I would love to see back buttons come to to controllers uh, universally. I think that's something that we really do need uh, for sure. All right, last question comes from Mr. Shame, famous Seamus. He says, uh, "I tried Power Wash Simulator and really got into it. What mundane activity do you find more fun in games than in real life?" Oh, man, Um, that's a good question, Seamus. And I'm actually going to wait and think on that one for this week. And I want to pose your question to everybody that listens to XEP. What do you guys find is a mundane gaming activity that you think is uh, way more fun in a game than real life? And and part of me jumps to like Animal Crossing where you garden. I don't want to garden and be sweaty outside, but like it's cool in a a game like that. Uh, Maybe that's a good answer, famous Seamus, but I'm curious to the rest of you guys, like, what is it for you that's mundane in real life, but in game, you're like, yo, this is, this is what I'm down for. Uh, Good question there. Alrighty, guys, that's going to be it for me. I recorded a little bit early this weekend because uh, if the schedule holds, I'll be talking with Miles Dompierre on Xbox Chatterdays. And I've got two other interviews this weekend that you'll find out about in later episodes of XCP. I'm also returning to work uh, come Monday. We are beginning teacher work days and then students arrive uh, two weeks from then, which is really exciting as well. But my schedule will change just a bit. All right. That's it for me, everybody. Enjoy this interview with Kevin Mann from Double Eleven Studios discussing the console release of RimWorld. I think you'll have a blast with it. Take care, everyone. Well, I am very fortunate now to welcome Kevin Mann of Double Eleven Studios. He is a producer behind RimWorld Console Edition. Kevin, welcome to XEP. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's really exciting. I'm excited to have you on. Uh, I've been looking at footage of RimWorld. I've been studying RimWorld since we found out we were going to be talking together. And this game is wild with a ton of depth, and I'm anxious to get into it. But if I'm correct, the console edition is a port from a PC title from all the way back in 2013. Is that right? Yeah, it's really interesting because RimWorld's had a really... Um, varied life on PC. It kind of released in early access, and then as those games kind of do, it grows and develops with 
feedback and it just increases the mechanics of it and it's just built and built and built and got more and more popular over the years so it constantly feels really fresh and i think that was one of the challenges of bringing it over to console like keeping up with how fresh the the pc version feels i'll confess i had never heard of rimworld until until the console edition and then upon like studying it this game seems to have a massive community but I struggled to even figure out what actual genre you guys would classify that. Is it a 4X game? Would you call it a colony sim? What do you guys call it uh, internally at Double Eleven? Well, internally, we um, we refer to it the same way, like Tynan, the, the game designer of the PC version, where he refers to it, which is a story generator, which is a difficult... It's, it's kind of strange to think of a game as a story generator because then you think about how interactive it is, but... I guess at its core, it's a, it's a colony simulator, but because it's driven by this AI storyteller, it just creates these incredible experiences for a player. So it's got elements of 4X, but the story is really the, the focus of it. So you're always kind of um, fighting for survival. You're, you're building bases, developing relationships. There's, uh, there's like, there's pets and animals and farming and, um, just relationships between different colonists. Um, it's just got this massive depth of a, a, of a simulation. I think Tynan says the inspiration for it came from uh, games like Dwarf Fortress, and it's got like a sci-fi Western theme to it. So it, it, it's really fascinating game. It It is fascinating. The amount of intricacies that take place in this game blew my mind. You're having to give your different characters bed rest. You're having to see if they can cook. Some of them have uh, skill attributes that mean they they are or not willing to participate in violence. There is a lot to consider in this kind of game, yes? Yeah, and it's really incredible because each of the the players, um, sorry, each of the colonists that you have... um, that kind of crash land on this planet with you. Um, they all have real unique personalities and and they're not like the type of characters that you might expect on a game. So you, you don't always end up with uh, like a soldier or um, a mechanic or a cook. Sometimes you end up with like an accountant or um, a journalist or um, uh, like somebody who's had like an horrific childhood background and all of that kind of builds into who the person is. So when you're trying to give them orders, the the way that they react and respond all is based around their mood, their background, the relationships with other people. Um, so it really makes you fall in love with each of the different characters. So you feel a loss when you lose them, you celebrate the victories when you see the relationships grow, when you see them achieve things. It's, uh, it's really engaging from that point of view. With a, a learning curve that's as high as it takes to play a game like RimWorld, uh, certainly that you guys had to do a lot of, I use the word translating, but I'm, I'm thinking like when you look at the PC version and the amount of buttons at your disposal and the, the navigation of UI, to get all of that intricacy into a console edition, that would seem to me to be a very daunting task. It, it seemed like at the beginning... Um... Luckily, Double Eleven has got a lot of experience of doing this kind of thing. Um, maybe not to the depths of complexity of, of RimWorld in this particular style. Um, but one thing that we always wanted to do is make sure that whatever we're bringing over to console is the full experience. Um, my background is a kind of run my own uh, company that 
that took comic books and turned them into digital media. Um, and part of that was um, making people, giving people an experience no matter where they want to enjoy that experience. And that's as perfect as possible and as full as possible. Um, so when I came and joined Double Eleven, I wanted to bring that to Double Eleven, that kind of experience of it doesn't matter where somebody wants to experience something. It needs to be the full experience and optimized for that platform. So bringing that mindset to to RimWorld, it was like, yeah, this is complex. It's deep. It's a real um, challenge of a game on PC. But console players also want that. Like we've grown up and matured and um, we want these rich, deep experiences. So how can we take what we've done, take the, the PC version, and make it accessible and easy to use on a controller and easy to read from like a, a 10 foot distance as you sat on a couch in this kind of like sit back versus the lean forward experience of, of, of playing a PC game. Like how can we adapt the way the game works to just keep that full experience and not lose any of the simulation any of the depth and uh that that was a real challenge but i think that's what made the working on the project so exciting like how can we do that for something just as complex and and like heavily pc ui driven game um so yeah the design elements of this was was really interesting to us um and we really we really just put that first like let's not make a game let's not reduce the complexity of the game but let's make it possible on console and so that people never feel lost they never feel like they they don't know what to do next but they, they don't also feel like they've had too many corners too many kind of rough edges smoothed down and um, we've rounded off too many corners for people we just want it to be as deep as the pc version well, let me ask you this. Here's an unfair question. Do you think you were successful in getting it uh, properly ported over to console and keeping that depth? Yeah, I think we were. I mean, it it, it might seem easy to say as, as the people working on it, um, but we're, we're quite um, happy with where we got to. We'd always want to, we don't, we always would wanted to make it even better, but the game itself, um, I think has been really successful. The feedback we've had from the players who have played it so far, have, have been extremely positive. Um, we we had to do a, a ton of optimization to make the game work on uh, these consoles. Um, it, it might it's deceptively simple looking RimWorld, but the the depth of the simulation is is really heavy on the CPU side of things on the on the consoles. Um, so we had to do a lot just to make it possible, and we managed to do it without reducing any of the complexity of the simulation we um and then the experience itself i feel like uh from the feedback we've had players feel like they've got the full pc experience but it feels really natural and some of the reviews we had were great we had comments like um it's embarrassing to say but there was comments like this is a, a gold standard for um bringing this type of game to console and um like double eleven have done an incredible job translating from mouse and keyboard to to controller so that's that really feel rewarding good. when we yeah it does and it was really nice for the team to read those type of reviews and um and just see how how well their hard work had, had paid off and people kind of saw what we did um and we we spent so much time um prototyping and testing 
um, and gathering quick feedback that to see that play off and to see people enjoy it was has been really rewarding and we just uh, we're, we're, we're really proud of that you mentioned feedback and then just a moment ago you mentioned like prototyping and whatnot mm. uh, how do you go about soliciting feedback from players is that something you all do internally do you do you do you go and snag some of the former pc players and say hey check this out what do you think uh, how do you guys go about soliciting that feedback yeah we do um the main thing there's a couple of examples i think i can talk through um one is kind of the way that as a designer i prototype things early um so if we take for example uh, the menu system on rimworld um on the pc version it's all kind of um there's windows that you click in and open and you bring up some menus and you navigate through it and it's perfect for mouse and keyboard um, that type of navigation is really tricky on console. Um, and when you look at a lot of other type of games in this genre, um, they've they've approached it in lots of different in lots of different ways. And some kind of opt for like a radial menu. So what we did uh, really quickly is I would use Adobe XD to create like um, a really high fidelity interactive mockup as quickly as possible of that type of uh, UI. And then we would connect a controller up to it. And then I can put it into the hands of like members of our QA team. I can send it over to to Tynan um, from a PC point of view to see how he thinks it felt. And then our specialists like across different games, we can get that in their hands really quickly. And what we found is um, that's really good for being able to, to quickly get two options um, on a radial menu. But what it lacks is the, the, the muscle memory and the learning. Mm-hmm. Um, so we switched it to a grid-based system um, where you can still get to any option within three button presses, but those button presses are always in the same place. So if you go slightly up to the right with the the left with the thumbstick, um, you might be slightly off one option and onto another, and you can't 100% know you're going to hit each one of those. But mm-hmm. when we did it with the grid-based system, we saw that as people played it more, they remembered like, I want to get a chair, so I press L2, it brings up the the menu, I press right twice, and then I'm in the furniture one, and then I can select chair, um, and I can get to it instantly. So next time they want to do that, it's just muscle memory. It's like the same thing every single time. Um, it's really fast to get to in and out. Uh, so we knew we were onto something really early once we kind of got that system down, and then from there we just built and iterated on top of it to make it nicer and nicer, um, eventually coming up with this idea of a, of a build mode, which is unique to console where after you've selected uh, parts of, uh, like maybe you selected a wall, we know that you're likely to want a door and you're likely to want a chair and you might want a lamp. So we've made it really easy to switch between those without having to go back through menus um, and little touches like that where the game kind of adapts to what you're doing has really helped make it better and better. And, and that's just building on like iteration after iteration and play testing with different people. So it, it's been a really fun challenge. And I think, um, I think we've come up with something that just feels really natural and gets out the way of the player so they can enjoy the story, which was the aim of it really. That's gotta be pretty darn incredible to be getting good reviews and to be taking RimWorld, which is, you know, over a million players still playing on PC. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and to have that, uh, did you guys feel pressure to get it right? Was there 
Was there like an extra sense of weight to this one? Yeah, there was. Um, and I found that really exciting. I think I keep saying exciting because it, it, it has been that type of experience. Um, but I actually got, um, it followed RimWorld for a while and been playing it before we we were working on it. Um, and I was already in love with the game myself. So there was a pressure there to to take the experience that I had on PC and make that work on console just for me. Um, and then knowing that there was millions of other players who were just as engaged, just as passionate, who spend the free time creating like incredible uh, fan art and there's a real rich community around it. There's like a modern community around it. Um, knowing that that all existed on PC, it's like, right, we want to do, we, we want to do the console players proud. We want those guys to, uh, or those people to have the exact same experience that the PC version players would have. Um, so, so that weight was kind of on us, but it was also really exciting to think about it that way, because I think a lot of people do think about these type of games, um, on console and think of console players as people who want like a simplified experience, maybe a bit more casual, but, mm-hmm. but we know because we're console players, uh, in the main as well, that w- we want that parity experience with PC. Um, we, we want the full experience. We want the complexity. We want those deep experiences that take us, keep us on the couch for hours and hours. Um, so we were under pressure to make sure that came across as well. Um, and we'd worked on other games like um, Prison Architect and Rust that has like passionate communities as well. Um, and that kind of helped us um, realize like players want a parity experience. They want to be engaged with um, the 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 want to be engaged with the developers. They want us to to be open about the way we're we're doing things, how the post knowledge patches are working, um, that type of thing. So, so yeah, it was it it was a lot of pressure, but um, it it makes what you do exciting, and uh, yeah, really lucky to work in this industry. That's really cool, and and I. I chuckle because you guys had to contend with so many things. And one of the fascinating things about RimWorld and its populace is that like content's still coming for it. And we had our mm-hmm. listener write in uh, asking, and this was Antonio Guillen. He goes by Hypecaster. He was super excited about your game. And he asked, because the game is so beefy, uh, could you talk a little bit about the royalty DLC or if any new DLCs are coming in future? And separately from his statement, my research said something like there was a DLC coming out before you all announced the, the the console port, and that's why it didn't get translated, there's there's still content for this game, right? Yeah, there is, and it, it, the PC um, version updates regularly um, with new content. It's been supported ever since. There's a team working on the on that version all the way through. So things like bug fixes, quality of life improvements, that type of thing, we can bring across. Um, but when we we started to evaluate the game. Uh, quite a long time ago, and the development has has, has took a long time. Well, a, a number of years, and uh, at that time, we knew that royalty DLC was out, and we'd been planning around royalty and the core game, and we thought that that was like an extremely rich experience that players would, uh, we, we could bring to console at launch, and we wouldn't have to like bring the royalty one later. We could we knew that we could hit the launch date with both uh, the base game and and royalty DLC, but 
when we uh, saw what was happening with ideology and we knew about the release date for that, um, it was just it was in the middle of our development process, and we just had to to focus on what we could get our launch, make the best possible experience, and then now that the game's out, we can assess like okay, what are we do next, how are things going, and and yeah, hopefully we can talk about that type of thing soon. Mm-hmm. Well, that's really cool, and and uh, I, I want to be very clear to any listener that's that's catching this. This game is massive and yeah. intricate. I mean. Uh, internally, how long do you guys think it takes you for a standard playthrough? It's it's a loaded question, I think, with the type of game too. Oh yeah, I mean that's that's one of the biggest challenges that we had. We obviously with all games you have a, a QA team, and you would if it was something like Minecraft Dungeons, you've got very distinct levels of players go through them. We take different approaches to those levels to make sure that because it's kind of like semi-open as well, Minecraft Dungeons. But the way that that game works is there is like a, a path of of completion and then with something like Rimworld because at the core it is a story generator and, and you don't really you don't really have to strive towards a, a competitive end. You can live out this like um you can just live out years and years within the game, build up your colony, trade, move, develop relationships, uh research. Um so you can put in hundreds and hundreds of hours without touching all of the mechanics. So that creates a massive challenge for not only us as developers, but our QA team to to be able to to ensure the game's working correctly, that the mechanics are fun, to to make it as bug free as possible at launch. Um and um yeah, I can't I I can't even imagine the amount of hours the QA team have put in on their games. Um so yeah, it, it, it's been a challenge because of that. And there's a, there's quite funny stories in terms of the development, which is like, as I was doing the designs of stuff, we would um, we were working on features for, for quite a while and we developed the way that the UI works and the way that the screens work. And then like one of the developers would, would pop over and he'd be like, hey, have you, have you ever seen this screen yet? And we're like, whoa, we've been working on this game for a year and I've never seen that screen before. So then you have to come in and like, okay, how do you adapt that to PC uh, for console? Have we like, have we missed anything else? Um, so yeah, it was exciting working in that manner, but um, it's definitely a, a super deep game. And I think before I'd, um, before I was working on RimWorld and just playing it for fun, I think I'd put 50 to 60, I think my Steam said it was 62 hours. Um, and I hadn't touched the caravan mechanics of the game. I just stayed within my own colony. Um, so I'd missed like an entire whole section of the game. Um, it just totally unaware. Um, and that was like 60 hours in. So you can lose hundreds and hundreds of hours on this game. Um, yeah. Is it, is it, would you say that it's, relaxing to play or intense and that seems again i know there's a lot of like you could take this either way but you put 60 hours in barely touched you know some of the major mechanics i sense a lot of players are likely doing the same thing they're focusing on their niche part of the game uh but i'm wondering if this is like something you sit in you know relax yourself into or are you like on the edge of your seat trying to manage so many different things i think the game's really smart that way like the way that it's been designed um uh it, it kind of lends itself to both play types you can change the the game has a ui storyteller 
Um, and that storyteller analyzes the situation that you're in and determines like which events they think would be best to make a story. Mm-hmm. Um, and then those then create those events um, to, to, to kind of facilitate drama or tragedy or even comedy within, within your colony that you're playing. Um, so things like pirate traders can come, you can get attacked by a massive group of, um, of like killer squirrels, um, and, and you can have traders come, you can have relationships, you can have like, uh, disease, um, and, and you can like quests and all of that type of stuff. Um, and the storytellers are are driving that experience for you. Um, but if you are wanting a more intense experience where these type of events happen more often, or they might be massively scaled outside of where you currently are as a colony, then you can switch to, uh, the storyteller called, uh, Randy random. And, Mm -hmm. and with that, you'll get an unpredictable story. Uh, whereas if you want something that's more relaxed and that you can just sit back and enjoy building the colony, you can get to know the colonists, you can go into the relationships um, and see the stories that are playing out there. You can switch to 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 Phoebe and Phoebe will give you enough events to keep the game interesting, to keep it a challenge, uh, to help like kind of develop the story, but they'll be less frequent, there'll be more breaks in between, they'll be more manageable based on what the game knows like that your colony's at um so that that type of mode you can feel a lot more relaxed to and and the cool thing is you can kind of change your storyteller halfway through so you can be like okay i want i want an intense experience today but i want to do it with the colonists that i've got and you can and the colony that i've built um so you can then switch it to randy and then and then like deal with these like killer squirrels you can deal with the the fire outbreaks you can deal with like the, the mental breakdowns that your your characters will have because of all the things that are happening um just to then, make sure listeners catch that what you said you said killer squirrels <laughs> mental breakdowns and for kicks i saw several as i was like looking over the game uh, i saw streamers getting eaten by rabbits yeah. uh and such so you know uh a little bit of everything well even the 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 depth of the game surprises me sometimes like um i we i had a character um and she had this trait that was called uh staggeringly ugly um which is both funny and tragic um but that that affected her social skills and there was a a raid happened on my colony um and we kind of defeated the raid and i went back along and started to rebuild and start to prepare for the next uh raid that might come along um, and I noticed that the, like my colonist had a mask on and I was like, where did they get that mask? And it, it turned out like she'd gone and, and taken the mask off one of the dead, uh, raiders and was wearing it. And then, um, all of the other colonists in it were now much more sociable to her. Um, and her relationship aspects started to grow and build. But that colonist had kind of made the decision to wear that mask himself. And it was kind of heartbreaking because he had this like super intelligent uh, colonist who was uh, head of all of our all of the research. They were um, building and and just like kind of create helping create this like utopia for or what I was hoping to be a utopia for my colonists, but felt that she had to wear a mask just to fit in. And there's something so human about the game when that happened that I was able to reflect on myself and be like, you know, there's times when 
I wish I wasn't on camera or there's times when I just want to wear a mask and, and hide because I don't feel comfortable in my own skin. And to see that play out on a game that is also about killer rabbits and getting chased by um, uh, by these, like, they're called muffalos, these, like, giant, uh, like, buffalo-type creatures. Um, it, there was something really special about that and something that it's like a story that happened to me that I'll tell people about that I share with um yeah it's just it's just fascinating that that type of thing can happen within a game that on the surface looks quite simple it really does because uh, the art style does look extremely simple and the depth is there and you're right those moments in video games they tell us a lot about ourselves yeah. sometimes intentionally sometimes very much by accident yeah exactly and and I think I was talking to to Tynan and and I'd, I'd seen him on a few interviews as well talk about this about how the the simplistic style of art, he, he, he sees that as um, it lends itself to the storytelling because it allows us as players to um, to project our own um, kind of model on on what we're seeing and how it plays out. So when we see two people falling in love and and trying to rescue the other one um, in a, in a in a battle, or they might have like been caught in a trap, like seeing that rescue play out. The, the simplistic graphics help you fill in the blanks and really tell that story yourself. And then when you share that with other people later, um, you, you're filling in all of these ideas around what was playing out within that story. So it's, really, it's really cool. That's really neat. I mean, that's that's just fun. And, and you mentioned some of the player feedback earlier. Uh, it seems like it's been largely very well received, yes? Yeah, it has, and it's been nice to see it too. Like people seem really enthusiastic about the the UI um, and the control schemes. That there was um, nice comments about people being um, like would say that they were skeptical about this type of game coming to console, but after seeing some of our videos and and getting hands on on the game, they can um, they they were really excited for it and really happy with the way it came out. Um, the player feedback has been has been really really good. Um, you can see it kind of on on Twitter and on uh, Reddit and on the kind of the the Rimworld unofficial Discord. It's like hanging out in those places and seeing how people are enjoying it has been really rewarding. That's really cool. Before we go, uh, and of course we're going to plug the game again. I did want to get a little bit of background on Double Eleven, just because you guys have a pretty cool history in terms of reach and the types of games you the studio has worked on uh just in looking through things from prison architect to limbo minecraft dungeons crackdown 3 and uh, i mean you guys really have had your hands on a lot of different games a lot of different types of games many of which that are xbox adjacent others that are uh, on other platforms and i know i've played several of them uh based on your work you guys have some a pretty high profile set of gigs for a 100 percent indie studio yeah, um, it, it is incredible what um, like Lee Kim and, and Mark, the the CEO, the the financial director and the the operations manager have, has built, um, or the operations director. Sorry, have built. It it's a funny story in a way because when I started my own company, it was in the same building as Double Eleven, so I saw those guys kind of grow and build the contracts around while my company was growing, um, and then. I actually moved into an apartment that overlooked Double Eleven's offices, and I could see the poster for Limbo on their window. Um, so I was looking out, like playing Limbo, and then seeing the fact that a company right next door to me was making a game that I absolutely adored. Um, 
and kind of jealously looking in like maybe one day I'll work for them and so it's great to be able to work for that company now and seeing the type of how cool is that yeah so I think I I lived it was it's five years five years overlooking the offices and then um, probably another five or four or five years before that um just being around them as the company was was settling in like sharing office space with them and so that's been an incredible journey to be part of but now inside and seeing the amount of work that goes into these type of games and the the talent that are here um it, it's just really nice to be part of um they've got like we've got a massively rich experience around um performance optimization that's where the company um kind of started and it's grown way beyond that but um it, it's definitely a specialism and a hard challenge to bring games like um rust and crackdown and uh, Rimworld to to consoles, and then uh, we obviously have been doing things like on PC with Prison Architect, and yeah, it's, it's and now Fallout seventy six we're working on, so it's it's really exciting. That is really cool. That is really cool. Well, I don't want to take up any more of your time, but I would like to ask you to uh, let people know where, and it seems obvious, but where Rimworld Console Edition is available uh, and uh, any socials you'd like to plug as well where they can find you and be part of the conversation. Yeah, um, so Rimworld is, the console edition is on the Xbox Store. Um, you can find it there. Um, we have uh, Rimworld Console Edition on Twitter, uh, we're obviously on Facebook, Double Eleven are also on Twitter, and um, we are really active on the Reddit. So there's a, there's a RimWorld console Reddit. Um, our community manager spends a lot of time there, and we spend a lot of time in the RimWorld Discord as well. There's a console channel there, so if you want to interact with us, tell us how it's going. If you like it, if you have any questions, we'll, we pick them up. Um, we definitely take feedback um, as we start to plan out kind of future patches. Um, I'm on Twitter as well, just Kevin Ma- um, at Kevin Mann. So if you have any questions there, just you can shout out to me. I'm happy to answer them. But yeah, what, what, Kevin Mann, sure. producer at Double Eleven for RimWorld Console Edition. Thank you so much for joining me today. No problem. Thank you for having me.